And so now we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And we come to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Hear now the eternal living word of God. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded. Has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you, up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. And so throughout our series in the gospel according to Mark, we've been studying what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God. He opened his public ministry proclaiming that the time has come for the fulfillment of the kingdom, proclaiming the need for repentance and belief in the gospel in order to enter the kingdom. He has shown the power of the kingdom, the power over the demons, the power to heal, the power over even the wind and the sea, and he has revealed himself as the one who wields this power. And he has taught us that the the heart reasons for the different responses to the message of the kingdom. And last week we saw that the key to the kingdom is Jesus himself. To reject Jesus Christ is to reject the kingdom of God and to embrace him is to embrace the kingdom. But when you look at the world around you, you don't see 
people submitting to God and Jesus Christ as their king as a prominent fixture in our culture. It happens in the church, but it happens out of the public eye. You see something completely different in our world. You see people around us following the path of the world, a culture devoid of God. You see people seeking their own glory, and that is what you're told to do, and it's everywhere. It's in every situation. Selfishness. Everyone, everywhere, is born into bondage to sin, born into bondage to Satan. And, and sin is realized in the human heart as selfishness. It's the kingdom of self. Whereas the kingdom of God in the human heart brings about a selflessness, a sacrifice to self. The kingdom of God brings you to die to yourself. And so what we'll be learning from our passage this morning is the contrast between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of self is the way the world seeks your own glory. It teaches you to live for yourself. But the kingdom of God is the way of God in Jesus Christ, seeking the glory of God, seeking the glory of Christ, seeking the glory of his kingdom. And so our passage this morning follows Jesus sending out his 12 apostles. And it says in verses 12 and 13 from last week, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this is the context we find our passage, which begins, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. It's the actions of Jesus and his disciples that Herod hears about. The fame of Jesus and his healing power and his power over the demons had grown to the point that King Herod heard about it and took notice. And it says, some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. And so the theories and the rumors about Jesus are following the word about his power. And Jesus clearly was working miracles among the people almost everywhere he went. And so to explain it, some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Some said Elijah has returned. Others are saying that he was a prophet of the Lord, just like the Old Testament prophets. And we notice that thinking highly of Jesus Considering him a great prophet, or, or is often said today that he's a great moral teacher, simply the greatest person to have ever lived, doesn't mean that that person is any closer to faith in him. It actually can be a hindrance for some people to their faith because they can, can be content of having a high opinion of Jesus. But we see with Herod what he believed right in verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And so Herod fears that Jesus is actually John the Baptist coming back from the dead. And there are four different rulers named Herod in the New Testament, actually. The, the Matthew's account that we did in the Advent series, the birth narrative, that was Herod the Great. He was the one who attempted to kill Jesus as a baby and probably the most famous in history of the Herods. But this one is actually his son, Herod Antipas, who was no less ruthless. Mark 
mention that John the Baptist was arrested back in chapter 1. And so now he's coming back and giving us the conclusion of that story. What Herod Antipas has done with him. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. The beheading of John the Baptist is intertwined with the twisted family story of the Herods. Herod Antipas had convinced Herodias, who was the wife of his own half-brother, to divorce her husband Philip and marry him. And so John the Baptist, being a prophet of the Lord, spoke out against this moral evil. Verse 18 says, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so John bravely, courageously speaks out against Herod marrying his brother's wife. And he's showing this courage not for his own sake. He is a courage for the glory of God. John stands to gain nothing by calling out Herod. But as a prophet, as a man of God, he doesn't stand by silently. He speaks out knowing that there would be great consequences, knowing that it could and does cost him his life. John is of the kingdom of God. He has given himself over to God. He's given himself over to Christ as his king, and therefore he's willing to sacrifice himself for the kingdom. And we see this contrast with the whole Herodian family, specifically here, Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias, who only care about themselves. They only care about what they want, their own desires. They are of the kingdom of self. And we see its contrast with the kingdom of God, someone who is submitted to God. And we see this here as Herodias enters the story, starting in verse 19. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So Herodias, the wife of Antipas, who left him for his brother, is the one who held the grudge against John. It wasn't Herod himself. Herod feared John. And now, it may seem noble that Herod feared John because John was a holy and righteous man and he kept him safe. But it's important to note, while it is a good thing that he kept John safe, his motives are not necessarily pure. He doesn't fear the Lord. He fears John. He doesn't care to live a holy life himself or submit to Jesus Christ as his king. He simply fears the consequences of killing a holy man. And it's interesting that Herod was perplexed by the teaching of John, but he heard him gladly. He enjoyed the teaching of John, but he never responded to it. He never responded through repentance and belief. You know, it's said of Benjamin Franklin that he used to love to hear the preaching of the great preacher George Whitfield. He enjoyed his preaching so much that he would often go and listen to him whenever he could. Now, We are not the judge of someone's estate in eternity, but we do know that it requires repentance and belief. Jesus began his ministry saying this. The fruit of someone who has entered the kingdom of God is someone who is repentant and turned from their sin, who has turned toward God and live a life for his kingdom. Someone who believes in Jesus Christ and is submitted to him. And there is no evidence 
in Ben Franklin's life that this was the case. It seems that he simply enjoyed Whitfield's preaching but left unconverted. If he never repented and believed in Jesus Christ, then he never left the kingdom of self, no matter how much he enjoyed some of his preachings. And so that's what we see here with Herod Antipas. He feared John. He enjoyed his teaching, but he still lived completely for himself. And so we read of the story now of how John's death came to be. It starts in verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so the opportunity for Herodias to convince her husband to kill John the Baptist arose when he throws this banquet for his birthday. He invited all of his important friends. And the daughter of Herodias was the entertainment for the day. And so because the girl's dancing pleased his guests, Herod tells her that he will give her whatever she wants, up to half my kingdom, which would be more of a figure of speech to show the magnitude of the gift he was willing to give. And so the girl goes to her mother and says, what should I ask for? And quite amazingly, she doesn't ask for money or land or something we would think of. Being the queen, the wife of Herod, I guess she has no need for any material things. So instead, she decides to satisfy her lust for revenge. The selfishness manifests itself in so many ways. But ultimately, it's trying to get what you want the way you want it. For Herodias, it was getting revenge because her pride was hurt. John the Baptist calling out her sinful behavior for divorcing her husband and marrying his brother, and probably because Herod Antipas was richer and more powerful. But with John the Baptist, you see a man who gave himself completely to the kingdom of God. He was willing to sacrifice everything, even his own life, to do what brings God glory. And so the real distinction between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God is that those in the kingdom of self ultimately seek to glorify themselves. And this is the way of Satan. This is what Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 2. When he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The course of this world is selfishness. Following the prince of the power of the air is following Satan. And it means living for yourself. Many years ago, when I was a teenager... I had a friend at the time who told me he read the Satanic Bible, and he was really surprised by the content. He said it didn't barely say anything about Satan. It doesn't tell you to hail Satan. It doesn't tell you to worship Satan. It simply tells you how great you are. The Satanic Bible is all about living for yourself, seeking your own desires, because Satan doesn't need to convince anyone 
to worship him. He only needs to convince you not to worship Jesus Christ. You are born in sin, dead in your trespasses. And the goal of Satan is to keep it that way. And his most effective way to do that is to convince you to worship yourself. And so Mark has given us some extreme examples, Herod and Herodias living completely for themselves, and John the Baptist living completely for God and his kingdom. And Herod doesn't want to go back on his word. He doesn't want to upset his wife or be embarrassed in front of his guests. And so he does what she asked, and he kills John the Baptist. He's willing to behead an innocent man, but he doesn't want to look bad in front of his friends. He's a man who lives for himself, completely in the kingdom of self. He has no regard for God, the kingdom of God, or Christ, the king. But for those of you who already believe in Jesus Christ, you've repented, you've submitted to Jesus Christ as your king, you live for the kingdom of God, but not fully yet. There's still the struggle with sin. There's still the struggle with living for yourself and selfishness. This is why Paul frequently writes about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. God has called you to himself by sending you his spirit to bring you to new spiritual life. And the indwelling spirit continues to work in you, convicting you of your sin, pointing out when you are living for yourself and not for God. And it's not just the things you do. It can be a whole way of being, even the way you speak. Paul Tripp wrote about this in his book, The Power of Words and the Wonder of God. He said, if I sat with you and I listened to recording of the last month of your words, whose kingdom, what kingdom, would I conclude those words are spoken to serve? Would it be the kingdom of self with its self-focused demandingness, expectancy, and entitlement? What I hear a person who is quick to criticize, quick to judge, quick to slam, and quick to condemn because people are always violating the laws of your kingdom. And he goes on to say, or would I hear you using words of love, honesty, encouragement, and service because your heart is taken up with the big sky purposes of the kingdom of God. Everything about you pulls you toward the kingdom of God. You or kingdom of self and the spirit pulls you towards the kingdom of God. Your flesh wants you to seek your own glory. And it shows in how you speak to others, how you treat others. When someone mistreats you, do you respond in anger or do you respond in love? All too often, the kingdom of self creeps into our hearts and comes out in our words and our actions. But in his own sacrificial love, Jesus modeled the humility of the kingdom of God. In Philippians 2, we read Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Even the act of becoming human shows the humility of Jesus. He is God. He has no need to become human. He's the creator of all things. Yet he humbled himself, taking on the form of a creature. He emptied himself. You and I try to make ourselves God, and we're in rebellion against him and his authority, but God took on humanity in order 
to save you. And not only did Jesus become human, but being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus modeled the sacrificial love of God that is so profound it defies our understanding. Jesus crushed the kingdom of self through his selfless sacrifice on the cross, nailing the sins of all who believe in him on the cross, freeing you from the prison of your sin, from the prison of living for yourself, and enabling you through his spirit to live for the kingdom of God. And so the paradox of the kingdom of God, the thing that we struggle to understand is that it was through his humbling himself that God exalted Jesus. Because of his humble obedience to the point of sacrificing himself for his own will, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. By humbling himself, God exalts him. And to the glory of God, God exalts those who humble themselves and humbles those who exalt themselves. But when you exalt yourself, you're seeking your own glory. But when you humble yourself in obedience to God and his kingdom, when you cast off your own selfish pride and live for Christ in his glory, then God is glorified. And so as you live in this broken world, as you still struggle with the attraction of seeking your own glory, of trying to get your own way and getting what you want, may the spirit of Christ in you pull you back down. That you won't seek to put yourself first, but in obedience to the will and the commands of God, you will put others first, regardless of the risk it brings. John the Baptist models the cost of discipleship to the extreme. Living your life for God, for Christ, can be costly at times, but there's no sacrifice that isn't worth it. There's nothing in this world of self-satisfaction that can compare to the eternal glory that awaits those who are in the kingdom of God. And so as you go out today, tomorrow, the rest of your days, live for the glory of God. Putting aside your own desires, your own wants for your own glory and live for the kingdom of God. By loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning in worship knowing that you have called us to be your people, that we gather here in your name. Although we still struggle with the selfishness and sin in our heart, you have given us your son to die for our sins, that we may be reconciled to you and we may be seen in his righteousness before you. And you've given us your spirit that we can continue to grow in his image, to grow toward that perfection that he lived on our behalf, putting off our old self, putting off our selfishness and our pride and humbling ourselves before you, knowing that your kingdom and your glory is why we were created. And so we ask that you continue to put that in our hearts and minds, that we would know when we are seeking our own glory and we will instead seek yours, that you may be glorified, that the light of your gospel will be seen in our hearts and in our lives, and that we will love you with all our heart, 
soul, strength, and mind, and we will love neighbor, our neighbors as ourselves. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.